As video surfaced online of the brutal slang of Ahmaud Arbery at the hands of two white men, it seemed like for a moment that COVID-19 took a backseat in an issue that has been brewing beneath the surface of our culture stepped into the forefront. I'm talking about racism. My name's Adam Shaw, and this is The Restorationist. Good day, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm super excited to have you with us today. I hope you're doing well. It was exciting to see that those of you in the United States are beginning to open up just a little bit. I am so ready, so ready to go outside, go to a restaurant. We're still in lockdown here in Ontario. We have cautiously entered phase one, but it looks like we're going to be stuck here for a while, still doing church online. Nonetheless, God's good, still in control, and you're listening today. And I'm so excited you're here because we have a very important topic that we are going to discuss. We're going to be talking about racism in the world and, yes, racism in the church. Now, last week I was super honored to be part of a panel hosted by my very good friend, Pastor Kelvin Shaw. He, along with Byron Hippolyte, Ryan Dean, Akil Thompson, and myself, unpack the idea of racism and how we can become better together. Now, I'm not so naive to think that one episode or one panel is going to solve all the problems in the world, but here's one thing I do hope to accomplish today. I hope to show you by letting you listen in to a dialogue of five friends how we can have discussions like this in the church and then walk away better, stronger, more unified, more edified than when we came in. So without any further ado, let's jump into our conversation. We begin partway through the opening prayer by Pastor Ryan Dean. I hope you enjoy. I'm praying that you would help us to be a part of healing. In your holy and precious name, I pray it. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you. Well, uh, welcome everybody to um, this panel discussion. Uh, my name is Calvin Shaw, and uh, I'm here in Ottawa, Canada, and I'm here with my friends. Uh, just so you know, the reason why we are here is uh, the recent uh, case that's met the national media. Uh, Ahmad Arbery has been in the news, and um, I've seen so much conversation around it, seen so much uh, dialogue in different uh, Facebook groups, uh, individual groups and whatnot. And I just felt like it was time to have uh, a conversation with a group of guys uh, that have uh, very good opinions, sharp, um, that I respect their voice and their friendship. And I would say the bigger picture is to have uh, a conversation to heal or to be a part of the healing process in regards to uniting. We started as a church uh, of God, and despite our cultures, despite our backgrounds, despite the color of our skin, or some would call that race, the thing that trumps all of that is the culture of Christ. And we are here as brothers to have this discussion, and uh, um, I'm going to call this a better together, uh, a straight talk on racism. And uh, I just want to introduce a few, uh, everybody on the call and have them introduce themselves. So uh, why don't we start with uh, um, Pastor Byron. Or Byron, why don't you let us know a little bit about yourself and, uh, and 
welcome everybody to the call. Sure. Uh, greetings, all of you brethren, and I greet everyone watching in the name of the Lord, all of the saints of God. Um, Byron Hippolyte from Louisiana, born and raised from the good state, the good cooking, good place of Louisiana. It's my home, uh, church planner, pastor, um, most of all, disciple of the Lord Jesus, uh, desiring to know him and to make him known and uh, just be a servant and a disciple. So I'm, I'm honored to be on the call. Thank you so much. Why don't we go to Ryan Dean? Ryan Dean, assistant pastor at the Pentecostals of Bossier City. I'm also from the great state of Louisiana, but I'm from fake Louisiana. Anything <laughs> north of I-10 is not really Louisiana. So I'm like the amalgamation of Texas, Louisiana, and a little bit of Arkansas. It comes out in the accent too. So um, yeah, these are all my friends. So I'm happy to be here. Amen. Yes. And we'll go all the way down to Toronto, Canada. Uh, Keel Thompson, why don't you introduce yourself? Well, greetings, everybody. So good to be on the call. It's an honor. I love and respect each of you. My name is Akil Thompson, and I have the privilege of serving as pastor at Extraordinary Church in uh, Mississauga, which is part of the greater Toronto area, just a neighboring adjacent city uh, to Toronto. And God is doing great things, and I'm excited to be a part of this conversation. Excellent. And last but not least, uh, Adam Shaw from Hamilton, Ontario. Hey, everybody. My name is Adam Shaw. Really super excited to be uh, part of this conversation today um, from as uh, as as I mentioned, or I guess as Kelvin mentioned, I'm from Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. And so um, representing the I was going to say three Canadians that are that are here uh, because we have we consider we consider uh, Akil part part of the new Canadian family. And uh, and so uh, just Glad to be part of the three Canadians that are a part of this call. And uh, no, just kidding. But uh, no, I'm really excited to be here. I'm super excited for this conversation. Excellent. So uh, we've all heard the, the stories and seen all the conversations that's happened. And uh, I would say that the why of putting this panel together is really just to have an open dialogue and have a, a conversation with uh, friends and also well-respected Christians, uh, men of God. I love what Byron said, disciples. Uh, we wanna have a, a conversation that's open, that's transparent, without offense, without uh, any type of ignorance, really just to highlight some of the things like racial insensitivities that happen in our culture, that even happen within our ranks, and ultimately to, to help us further unite as brothers and sisters. So I would say that's the, the purpose of the discussion specifically on the topic of uh, racism within the black and white community. And I know that's super broad to say that black and white community because there's so many different backgrounds and cultures and whatnot, it's not that simple. But uh, I'm gonna pose this first question to uh, uh, Akil. Uh, why do we need to speak about racism in the church from a, a Christian perspective? Why is that important? Well, first and foremost, I believe that we have the answer. Jesus is the answer. And if there's anybody uh, that should be influencing culture and modeling the way, it's the church. And uh, who better to lead us and help us navigate through that than Jesus Christ himself, when you have his spirit, it's the love of God shed abroad in our hearts. And there are certainly difficult things uh, that the culture or societies will face. But I believe since the church has the answer, we need to take the lead. Oftentimes what will happen is 
we will be reactive. Uh, but I believe if the church can do what we're doing right now in a very organic, safe space and say, let's just sit down and have a conversation or conversations, I should frame it that way. And so I believe as we're willing to do that and allow scripture to be the authority and to figure out how that applies to our lives and how we can have strategic, intentional conversations, I believe only good will come from it. And the world will see how the church is supposed to operate, where every ethnicity, every culture is embraced and celebrated. Uh, I believe that the greatest revival is ahead of us. And it's for those churches that are willing to embrace and celebrate every culture, every ethnicity, because there is a place and a space for everybody. So I believe the church should not be silent, but I believe the church should speak and the church should lead. Uh, and whether that is in a very public setting or in a very private setting, uh, I just believe the conversations need to happen. Uh, and I'm a proponent of them happening in homes, in offices, on basketball courts, uh, where change can truly happen, just like we're talking about now. Right. Anybody else want to chime in? I, I think for me, as an, you know, as an apostolic church, one of the things that we pride ourselves on is that we're a movement that embraces holiness. We're a holiness movement. Even the historical roots of the modern Pentecostal church are rooted in the holiness movement where, you know, we talk all the time about uh, being holy as unto the Lord and racism is sin and it is, it is wicked. And Jesus said, if you hate your brother, it's like you've murdered him already. Jesus equates, you know, this rank hatred that that people can develop towards one another as as the moral equivalent of of murder. And so if we are to truly be a holiness movement, we have got to have a discussion about sin, specifically sin that impacts the body. Um, sin that has the ability to divide the body and keep it from accomplishing its mission. And so, you know, when I say racism is sin, I, I, I know we're not supposed to grade sins or whatever, but I do think that there's degrees of impact. And this is not like, you know, somebody gossiping or somebody, you know, getting angry and losing their temper. This is bringing division to the body. And if we are going to be a true holiness movement that wants to reflect the righteousness of our Lord Jesus Christ, we've got to root out the sin and we've got to root out sins specifically that infect the body. And so that's why I believe this discussion is so, so very important. Number one, we need to reflect, as Pastor Keel, as Keel said, um, the glory of Jesus Christ, God's ultimate plan for the church. Um, but I, I also believe that on top of that, that as a holiness movement, we got to call sin out. This is what we've been doing since we've become the church. We call stuff out. And it's time to call this out for what it is. It's hatred. It's sin. And it's a destroyer of the body. I, feel and I like, like what you said. Go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead. Well, I, I really love what you said about it. And I mean, big picture, we, we come back to this. It is sin. But in addition to that, it is a sin that is touching many of our brothers and sisters. So there's many other sins that we preach against all the time. But this one can exist within our environments. And I love what Akil said. If we are going to be the church, we are supposed to reflect every community around us. <clears throat> and if racism is involved, it is the one of the largest divides that will separate, separate us. So you talk about it from 
a historical standpoint all the way up to the modern day. So I love how we, we understand that it is sin, but specifically we need to get to the point that it's a sin that currently divides us and can be a tool that divides us within the church. So that's why it's important to get it out of here. What, ahead, what's Ryan. kind of embarrassing for the apostolic church is that we took the lead on it initially. The early apostolic revival in the, in the 1900s, William Seymour was a black preacher who was drawing in people of every single race from all over the world. And they were all coming to hear this man preach and they were worshiping together. There was no distinction. And then gradually over the next few decades, the separation began again. And I think it kind of we're having to relearn lessons 100 years later, which is ridiculous. Mm. And it's kind of like in Acts chapter two, whenever the Holy Ghost was poured out. It was poured out to people from all over the place because it was in every language. So if it was in every language and they heard their own language, then you're dealing with a variety of races there. And so they're they're coming from everywhere. They're all filled with the Holy Ghost. But it still took uh, what what was it? Eight more eight more chapters in Acts 10. Whenever yeah. God had to send Peter a vision and say, hey, remember, <laughs> like right. I tried to teach you this in Acts 2. But now I got to remind you, remember that this is for them as well. And so it's like Peter had to continually learn these lessons. And the church, unfortunately, is still relearning a lot of lessons. And that's embarrassing. But it's also uh, it's also, I think, encouraging because if it happened with Peter, it can happen to us and we can right these wrongs. But it is embarrassing that the apostolic church was taking lead on it and then regressed because of human uh, human nature that kind of crept its way in. Right, right. Well, uh, I, I love what you said. We are relearning lessons. And this is the forum to uh, put some education out there so that we can all learn together. On that specific uh, subject, and Byron opposes to you, there are, um, believe it or not, uh, all of us, many uh, Black uh, brothers um, or minority brothers, have experienced racism, uh, or if it's not racism, uh, racial insensitivities. So things that people say, maybe they, just because they said it doesn't mean that they're racist. It's just a very, uh, can I say, ignorant comment or things that would really affect us deeply that if if nobody says anything, that people won't know. Byron, why don't you speak to that in terms of cultural insensitivities, racial insensitivities that you experienced, maybe even racism um, in the church, outside of the church that you've experienced, just so that people can understand uh, from a learning perspective what we might uh, have gone through. Sure. Yes, I want to say, too, how much I respect uh, Bishop Bernard, our leader, for the conversation that we had uh, a few weeks ago on this platform. Um, while I do believe that conversations like these need to be ongoing, uh, I do uh, want to highlight and appreciate him as our leader. I think he is doing an amazing job. He's not doesn't shy away from the issues. And I think that he set a great precedent for our organization, for the leaders to follow. Um, so I really appreciate that. Um, as it pertains to your question, I think it all boils down to just being a disciple. Uh, if you hang around me for any length of time, you'll hear that's probably my favorite word. Uh, that's what I felt the Lord uh, had me to name the church disciples of Christ Jesus. 
because I truly believe before we're Pentecostal, before we're apostolic, we are disciples. We're called to right. be. And that means to be a learner and a and and a teacher. And so I think if we all focused on being a disciple, as what Paul talked about, he said, I became all things to all men. And whenever we talk about insensitivity and being sensitive, whenever we um, how he said in, in the book of Corinthians uh, to the weaker parts of the body we give more attention to. Mm. And so I think whenever we become all things to all men, then we can become sensitive and feel what other people feel. It's like part of being a body, right? It's like if my hand hurts, you know, just because it's my hand, you know, and not my knee, I'm going to, I'm going to give that attention because we're all connected and we're all part of a body. And as I said, a few weeks ago, sometimes we can be blind and just, don't know anything about it. Um, for example, you ask a question. I think we need to start looking at things from the perspective of, as far as color, from the perspective of the almighty and not art. And what I mean by that is one of you asked the question pertaining to some of maybe the insensitivities that one may feel. And I'm only speaking for Byron. I can't speak for every individual every brown person, every black person, every African-American person. But what I mean by that is in art, white isn't a color. So you have every other color, you know, but white is the absence of color. And I think we make a mistake as people of God whenever we look at white as not being a color and we say, well, colored people. You know, I personally and I think that when people say this and I have friends that I know aren't racist who say this. So I I, I think they're doing it out of sincerity and genuineness. But when we're talking about sensitivity and insensitivity, uh, I just want to be candid about something that I, you know, find problematic for me is, you know, art. Again, white isn't a color, but then you've got all these other colors. So it's like, well, the colored people, you know, the colored person and they, they use it as a term of endearment and respect. But from the reality of the almighty, white, peach, yellow, whatever you want to call it, it's still a color. It's it's just as much of a color as everything else, as brown, as black, as Asian. You know, so I think whenever we begin to look at ourselves as opposed to being separatist, then we're all included yeah. in one, you know, so, you know, you're colored and we all have this beautiful. So. Uh, I, I, that's one of the, the issues that I have as an example to your question. I hope that makes some sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I love what you said uh, in being, Paul said, to be all things to all people. Um, I've uh, experienced and noticed little things. And here, here's an educational uh, a point and statement. So it's not, uh, not doing this out of any point, any fingers at anybody specific, but I've been in many church services where uh, say a Caucasian preacher is, is preaching, love the preacher, many, many people. And uh, as they're speaking, maybe they're giving a story about um, how they've witnessed to somebody. And we're interested as Christians, all of us, in hearing somebody coming to the Lord and hearing a new person coming to the Lord. And the statement sometimes thrown out there, well, I'm winning this person to the Lord. I had a great conversation. It was a black man that I was witnessing to. 
And instantly, what I think in my mind is, why why do we have to highlight um, the color of their skin in this in this side of the equation? Why does that matter? And especially when I hear you say the same uh, converse, conversation, and it's somebody that's Caucasian. Um, We'll never hear the statement being, oh, well, I witnessed to another uh, Caucasian man or I listened, reached out to another white man. Um, so it, 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 to me, that's not racist. I would never dare call anybody racist for that statement, but it's an insensitivity. It's like, well, why are you excluding people that look like me? What is so, what, what are we trying to say? Um, now, Adam, when you hear some, when you hear me say something like that, yeah. What comes across, and I'm not accusing you of you're, you're my one of my closest friends. I'm not accusing you of ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what do you think when I say something like that? How does that um, does that trigger anything in your mind as as a, a Caucasian preacher? Does that make you think, wow, that that doesn't make any sense, or oh, I understand what he's saying. Where do you go when I when that something like that is brought up? Um. Well, I mean, for me, and again, like like Byron, I can only speak for for me. For me, it, your point makes perfect sense. Like I, I, I immediately when you tell the story, you know, I try to put myself. And again, I don't have the same experience as a as a white guy in Canada as somebody as somebody else as 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 a black person in America or a black person in Canada. I don't have that same experience. But I, I would just for the for empathy's sake, would go if I'm listening to that story and somebody goes. You know, it was it was this. I was witness somebody, and they're open to the Lord. It was it was a beautiful white man. I, I'd be like, whoa, what? Like, is it, why does that have to do with this car? Did you have to say beautiful? <laughs> beautiful. It's, and, and yeah, it's not. That's what got color. me beautiful. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was beautiful. It was they like, got me. It was I was gonna be like weird. It's like this, 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 this. Because honestly, like, well, I use that beautiful white man comment because I have heard in in church services the word either beautiful or articulate as if. Uh, the majority was some other case, and so like to me immediately, if I put myself in those shoes, and I'd be like, that, that would that is, what's that have to do with anything? So it makes perfect sense, and 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 I'm glad you 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 uh, you brought something up, Kelvin, because my my question is, you know, we're the title of the the podcast or the title of the this this talk right now is a straight talk, and I I want to hear more about. What are some cultural sensitivities? Because I'm pretty sure that I know what racism, overt racism looks like. And mm-hmm. I, I'm, I hope that a lot of people know what overt racism looks like. But if we're going to root racism out, we've got to, you know, there's there's a lot of talk about systemic racism and culture and and insensitivities. And I think that's that's where we actually got to do a lot of a lot of work because hopefully everyone knows that overt racism is evil and sinful and 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 but it's that it's the insensitivities and the ignorance that that reveal you know these kind of worldview structures that exist inside of our minds that I think need to be rooted out and so you know Byron mentioned the the word colored and Kelvin you've mentioned talking about you know um black being a reference to an individual when it would not work the story like they would never use that when talking about a white person what are some other insensitivities and other things that that 
reveal a racial bias or an ignorance or a prejudice in the church, if we're going to have a straight talk, I, I think we got to throw some of that stuff up right out on the table and be like, hey, this makes everyone in the room feel awkward. We probably shouldn't do that anymore. Barbecue and watermelon. Wow. Because I got a lot of friends that like barbecue and watermelon that don't look like me. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's why I've never understood fried, fried chicken. Fried chicken Who does not like fried, fried chicken. chicken? Right. That's what I, I want to right. I'm the fattest person on this call. I love fried chicken. Something is not right if you don't love fried chicken. Praise God. No, you know, I think, um, I think as you mentioned, Adam, it's probably a bit more um, difficult to ascertain why somebody could not detect overt racism, which exists in the church. And I'm not here to, to highlight that because I've had some very blatant experiences, even in this new millennium, where people have just looked at me and said things like, hey, uh, I remember I was applying for my local license. I'll just use this one snippet. But unfortunately, there is a thread. However, there's the flip side. But I'm going to give you straight talk because I think yeah. as a black man, oftentimes when we identify a scenario that we've experienced, we feel obligated to say on, on the flip side um, and like we have to somehow minimize or let everybody know. I'm I'm just saying. But let me say this. I remember when I was applying for my local license, all of my peers coming in and out. They're like, oh, man, it's great. Three minutes, five minutes, you'll be in and out. And so my wife and I, we were like, oh, whew, let's just take a deep breath. It's going to be all right. <laughs> We go in and one hour, one hour. And then we had to come back. I remember three board members looking and uh, saying, well, I don't approve you uh, getting your license and I'm not going to vote that way. Now, and then they went on to say, and by the way, you can't preach at my church. And I was shocked. I was like, well, one, I have not asked Two, I, I didn't know what to say. And they were like, they could tell I was just dumbfounded. They would say, well, they were like, well, you're black and you're married to a white woman. And that's not going to happen. Uh, and it was like, whoa. Uh, so I've had experiences like that. And then I've also been very fortunate and privileged to work very closely. And I believe wholeheartedly in Dr. David Bernard and his leadership and vision uh, and have been on the other side of the platform where uh, I'm a proponent of the United Pentecostal Church, believe in it. Uh, but uh, if I gave a laundry list of all the overt racism that I've experienced, it perhaps might give insight to what we deal with as black men of color, people of color or black men. So here's what I would say, but to an insensitivity, I would say, for example, when we just learned and read and watched some of us, I couldn't stomach it, uh, the Ahmaud Arbery murder, uh, for somebody to not allow us to mourn uh, or to have to defend our tears, that's racially insensitive for me. I, I let, let, let me just mourn. Let let people who are for historically and systemically have dealt with hundreds of years of racism, specifically black men. I have a black body. I have to deal with that. Uh, and so I would say seek to understand the moment when 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 people say things, well, we don't have all the facts <laughs> or <laughs> why do we have to have all the facts? Why can't you just join me in this? in this space of mourning uh, where I'm broken and trying to get my mind around what's happening. Um, let's just mourn together uh, because this is something that we deal with. I told, I shared with you all earlier, you know, uh, it's, it's funny, but I thought this today, 
as if I needed another excuse not to jog. You know, <laughs> you know, it's it's kind of yeah. like, <laughs> you know, it's just, uh, my counterparts uh, don't have to deal with that. Uh, but let's just let's just uh, engage in that. Seek to understand. Seek to understand the plight, the burden, the realities, and the responsibilities of being black in North America and in some cases globally. Uh, what that means. So I think uh, sometimes people who come to have the conversation, if they come with a mindset of uh, to defend, they're not racist or to say, let's wait till we have all the facts. Um, that in and of itself dismisses the plight that we're dealing with of just, man, life has been lost. And I'm just grieved about that. Um, it's those moments like when we were talking about earlier, the story I was going to share with you all uh, just being pulled over by a cop here and the racial tones and tenors are very different here in Canada as they are in the States. Uh, but I remember recently I got pulled over uh, by a cop here uh, in Toronto and my son and I was bringing him back from karate. And the guy was just like, I was nervous. I, I didn't want my son to know that. <laughs> so I was trying to keep my composure. Now I wasn't as nervous as if I were in the States, but he asked me, he said, let me see your registration. And I couldn't even, <laughs> I couldn't even put together a coherent sentence because I was just afraid. I was like, I paid cash for the car. I started crying and I was thinking to myself, I, I just don't want my son wow. to see what we have to deal with. And I'm trying to play it cool. And he was immediately and understandably. So the cop was like, I didn't ask you what you, how you paid for the car. And it was just kind of like this bizarre interaction that could easily tailspin. And I'm just thinking to myself, I've done nothing wrong. I was just going a little over the speed limit, you know, paid cash for the car. But that was the, that was the response just because of being black in North America and all of the experiences that I've had up to this point, which I've had some horrific ones and I didn't do anything wrong uh, riding a bike. You know, anyway, we want to get into all that. So I think we can be insensitive in that way, uh, not allowing people to mourn, not seeking to understand. Um, and that can be a bit difficult. Right. If, if I could just just uh, break in for a sec. Um, and uh, I. Just so anyone listening doesn't think there's a misunderstanding, I'm not saying that overt racism doesn't exist in the church. Um, sure. I, I very much think it does. But um, these are some really great examples. And I wonder, I guess, Kelvin, you want to move on to the next question. I wonder if there's any more because, you know, the, 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 what you talked about um, when you talked about um, what we, we would, and talked about the experience that, the experiences that you've had uh, growing up. Those those uh, and then the, your licensing experience, those flabbergasted me like that. That was so overt and it was so gross and it was so, so sinful. And hopefully a majority of people that are, are listening will see that that is. all. And I know it goes on way more than than what it should. But there there are things probably inside of me um, and inside of people that I, I'm in church with that that I go to church with that 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 are that are just insensitivities and ignorances to the worldview, to the lived experience of, of a black, of a black person that, that are not aware. And so is there, I just, I've learned already from this dialogue we've had thus far. And is there anything else um, 
that that you we that we do in the church that that we see happen in church life that uh, or happens in society um, that that be would be indicative of of ignorance or just a total insensitivity and lack of awareness. Yeah. Um, go ahead. Yeah. Um, I want to say a few things. Um, I, I first of all I appreciate everything that's been said uh, thus far. Um, I want to say something for context. Acts 13, one through two says, now there were in the church that was at Antioch, certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, son of prophecy, Simeon, that was called, I'll just say Niger for lack of offense, Lucius, Cyrene, who is from modern day North Africa, Libya, and another individual of a certain origin. And they were bought up with Herod, the Tetrarch and Saul. So we see Africans, Jews, different cultures in Antioch. Now, Simeon was, he had a name that literally meant black. That was his nickname. Um, I don't think that was offensive in the early church. Um, I think it was just a nickname, a surname. But here's where it differs as opposed to being in North America as Brother Kiel already said and alluded to our history. And we must be sensitive when it comes to our history. So while they might could get away with calling them, hey, black, look, I've got friends that I'm, you know, I come up in the hood, you know, yeah. and we got, hey, what's up, black? That's how we talk. And it's no offense because we understand that it's not come. So that term in and of itself is not offensive, but whenever the conscience of the individual is you've got maybe uh, European American saying black, they might not mean anything by it, but talking about empathy and considering the history, there's that question in your mind, like, wait, what do you mean black? Right. You know? And they might not mean anything by it, but it goes to that weak conscience again. So for context sake, we're talking about the church in America with all of our history of over 200 years of slavery and things of that nature. Um, as it pertains to some experiences, there are some that I have decided I would, I'm either going to go in the rapture with or to my grave with. Um, there are certain experiences that I have that I, you know, would prefer to keep to myself for different reasons. Um, but one experience that comes to mind is I remember I was, um, at a meeting a large meeting one time and there was this um, and this really hurt because I actually admired the individual from afar off uh, unbeknownst to him probably. But I remember there was some seating and he said something. I was trying to find a seat and there was some uh, reserved seating for me. And he said, Hey, shouldn't you be in the back? And uh, I was completely caught off guard. And uh, he kind of said it with the joke and laughing and, you know, but I was initially caught off guard, like, whoa. And it's like, actually, no, I have some reserved seating, you know, up here in the front. And so just that type of, to me, insensitivity yeah. uh, hurt more than anything. I think anger is often a second emotion, but hurt yeah, I agree first that. emotion. And so that's one experience of being insensitive. And I will say this um, 
to the credit of the United Pentecostal Church, and I've had some incredible experiences. And I think, and I know, the good far outweighs the bad. I've I've been so tremendously blessed by this organization, and that's just real. So, uh, but there are some some issues that we have, um, some experiences, and I know that's part of the reason of the conversation. Um, and I think we're getting better, but yeah, that that's a, a situation that I experienced to maybe give you an example. Right. I think too, and I just want to chime in uh, because I realized I was speaking for so long, but I do want to kind of close this with this or bookend it by saying at the same time, I want to echo what Byron said. I have experienced the good far outweighs the bad, but there have been those incidents. And I want to say even as well, uh, the district that I grew up in, leadership has changed. They've been remarkably intentional uh, and great things have come through that. And so while that was in its infancy with my local licensure, uh, since then, the tone and tenor uh, of that district and uh, has changed. And there's a great degree of intentionality where I know our conversations are happening just like this and people are being very intentional with inclusion uh, and diversity. And that is all appreciated and I think needed to be reflective because uh, there are people out there. I just had a conversation with someone earlier this week who was saying, hey, I'm looking for people who look like me um, mm. uh, to, to, so that I know what's possible. Uh, and so I think that's important that we have those conversations. And I'm glad that uh, we as a whole, not only the men on this call, but our organization as a whole is willing to have those conversations. And really, I would say over the last, um, and to close in and to move on to a, a, a question that Ryan, you and I have spoke about and uh, I want to pose it to you, but this is kind of what sparked this conversation. I don't think, based on this uh, case that we've seen, I don't think I've seen as many people, whatever their culture and background, speak up and speak out against this. I've seen uh, friends of ours that have posted to social media, black, white, uh, Asian, uh, whatever. So many heartfelt uh, videos, uh, posts that one are flabbergasted, like, my goodness, I didn't, this never came into my mind to think that this would happen on a regular basis or whatever. I didn't know that you were experiencing this. And I didn't know you even felt like this. And that has been the most encouraging thing. And the more we speak about it, we call it a straight talk. And I, I'm sure we can go into a, a lot more uh, specifics uh, on what we just talked about. But these are the things that have uh, allowed us to start moving um, in the right positive direction uh, to uh, move us and unite us closer. In a conversation that I had with Ryan a couple of years ago, uh, I talked about the fact that I knew at some point, I have three kids under nine, uh, my oldest son is nine, and I knew at some point that in his school or somewhere, and it's happened at, um, in church environments as well, that I was going to have to explain to him why somebody is treating him differently or saying something negatively to him because of the color of his skin. And when we had this conversation, I remember Ryan, he looked at me, he was like, what? Almost from a standpoint, and you correct me if I'm wrong, Ryan, that it was almost like, I don't know if he fully would believe me that uh, what I was saying. A couple years after the fact, 
Uh, we again having this conversation on uh, um, racism and different things that we'd, our kids would have to go through. And I explained to Ryan, remember that a couple of years ago, I spoke to you about explaining to my uh, son that I, about racism, why somebody's calling something negative and he is who he is and God made him so special and don't listen to people if they say something negatively to you. I said, well, that conversation has happened twice. And what broke my heart, I saw Ryan, tears came down his face and he he was he was so hurt, the fact that his friend's son, something that he would never ever think to explain to his own sons, which we're close with, has happened. Um, and one of the things he said is, how do we, one, how is it that you got to that? But how do we start approaching questions on race? Ryan, why don't you maybe uh, pose the question back to back to us of, of how do we start asking questions? How do we speak about this so that we can understand the differences between ignorance, prejudice, racism? How, how do I ask you? How do I ask questions without it coming off um, ignorant or racist? Why don't you speak to that for for a few seconds? Here? The the big thing that kind of I know we're going to get to the other issue that uh, I've talked to you about before with my guy here at home, um, but. One of the big reasons that I that I've wanted to be a part of a lot of these conversations lately is first of all, our conversations after camp late at night, those conversations brought a lot, not just of wisdom and understanding, but also a little bit of healing, it feels like. And uh what happened is I've had a few guys deal with some very overt racism, uh, some pretty brutal stuff. And it broke my heart here, but my philosophy has always been to set an example because I'm not, I'm not like this big bombastic personality. So I don't feel comfortable getting up and trying to like, you know, start some movement or something because I've never felt that that was within my gifting. So I'm like, I'm going to live my life by being a personal example, but I'm not going to make a big deal out of some of this stuff. I'm going to show people the right way to live because my true, my true belief was, and I said to our guys, every single camp, we always have these late night conversations in the dorm. I'm like, you guys are going to be part of the first, the beginning of the first post-racial society. And I really believed it until the next few years happened. And it seemed like there were more divisions that came up out of nowhere. And so my heart was broken with my guys. And then last summer at one of those talks uh, at y'all's camp, um, I kind of said that I was like, look, as a white guy, especially in the South, in the deep South, you risk, sounding like you're trying to be too much of an ally. And so people would roll their eyes at you. That's, this is my thinking in my head. So I was like, does it do more damage for me to speak up or it, does it help in some way? And uh, I don't know if you want me brought in without asking him in advance, but another guest speaker that you guys had looked at him and he said, no, he said, you don't, you don't have any idea how much it means when somebody who is white speaks up with us. He said, you have no idea how much it means. And that kind of that kind of broke my heart a little. But then this year, the Ahmaud Arbery thing pushed everything over the edge. And uh, so I reached out to a few friends. And when I talked to Byron, Byron and I, uh, we brought it up. We've been, we've been friends for over a decade now. And I said, man, I need you to tell me, like, we've never really had a deep, deep conversation about this. Because, again, I'm trying to be an example instead of just make a big deal out of it all the time. And I said, do we have some hurt residing in you within the apostolic church. And he said, of course. And then he starts listing all these examples. 
and uh, I felt like I felt like a horrible. I've, I've, I felt like a horrible friend. I felt like a horrible youth pastor. I felt like a horrible assistant pastor. I felt like a horrible example. Uh, and Byron, I want you because you, you're the one that brought the quote up to me, the quote that's now sticking with me and resonating with me. I want you to bring up the quote from uh, Martin Luther King Jr. that is kind of in line with everything we're talking about here. Sure. It says, in the end of it all, we will not remember the voice of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. Mm. See? And that's it. Been trying to be a personal example. While I've had one guy, uh, I asked him for permission to tell a story, but Abram has been shot down now, I think, by four different families, maybe five different families. I lose track uh, because he wanted to date their daughter. And I'm just sitting there in private with him in my office saying, buddy, think God's going to open something up. God's going to open something up. There's going to be some healing here and nothing's changed with him. So maybe, maybe this platform is, uh, it's time for a lot of people that look like me in the places where I live to stand up and be as overt about the Bible's mm. view on this as they are about their own racism. Mm. And, uh, Maybe the time is, is it's now to speak up. And uh, I, f- I feel like a fool having wasted uh, quite a few years with this other philosophy. Does this make sense? I'm rambling a little bit because I'm a little emotional right now. You guys are going to have to forgive me for that. No, it's perfect. It's perfect. I just want to say this, uh, Ryan, before you continue, you, as I told you personally, and I want to take this time, I want you to finish, but I want you, I want you to know, as I told you personally, you are a Christian if I ever knew one. And I love you dearly. And so don't beat yourself up. You, and I mean that sincerely, and I'm just saying it publicly. You're a Christian if I ever knew one. Yeah, I I would vouch for that as well. I know we want to finish your thought, but Ryan, when you cried over my son, over the experience that I had in explaining to you, it meant more to me than any type of negative thing that, we've experienced and that maybe that we will experience in the future. But I knew that regardless of the skin tone, regardless of the background, regardless of everything, I have a brother to stand with me. And it also helps me know, I have a brother that will stand with me in rooms that I might not be in, but I know if he's in those rooms, if anything ever comes up, he's standing on my behalf and vice versa because we, we're talking about one-sided racism, but it's both ways. If I hear anything in, in rooms that I'm in about white people, my friends, anybody, you also know that you have a voice that will stand up and say, that ain't right, and, 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 and rebuke that. Um, and Adam as well. I know, Adam, you want I, I want you to speak to that. But Ryan, finish your thought. Um, yeah, just quickly. This this is this is what I think the solution really is. If I'd known some of the stories that Byron told me about and even the one that he just shared on the call a minute ago, if I'd known about some of those earlier, I probably would have been driven to action a little earlier. And the only way that I think that this conversation is important for that reason because we start opening our eyes a little bit and that's what spurs us to action. Uh as quickly as I can, I'll tell y'all this. What did I t- I told y'all the first time that we had a camp together and we were sitting around late night I was like, look, hey, at least at least my family can't claim to be a part of this. 
But guys, we were all uh, like poor Irish immigrants. We came over during the famine, like we weren't part of this until I got on Ancestry.com. And I found out that my family were not poor <laughs> Irish immigrants. They were from Scotland and they came over in the 1500s. So we've been here forever. And then they migrated down to Montgomery, Alabama. And then I found out that my great, 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 great grandfather owned about 17 people. And I saw my grand, I saw his name. I saw his wife's name. I saw his kids' names and I saw their ages on the census report. But below their names, I saw the age and the sex of 17 people. Their names were not even listed. They weren't even regarded as human. They were property. And you might say, well, was there like a tremendous amount of guilt that piled up? And to be honest, you know, it was shocking. But the reason I didn't have that much guilt over it was because I knew that their great, great, great grandson pastored a church in central Texas during the 70s and the 80s, over 90% African-American and served them with his whole heart. And all I could think of is if my great, 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 great grandfather knew this, what would he think if he saw that his family, not in his eyes, but in ours, corrected the wrongs of our ancestors? And I think the difference, I think the change can be made when we not just serve one another, but serve with each other. And so serving with y'all and serving in the kingdom with y'all opens up these conversations that says, you know what, now I have the perspective that I need because, uh, again, I'm, I'm, I'm a white guy in the South and people can deny that there exists some sort of privilege within my culture. There does. There does. Yeah. I know that it's a politically loaded term, but there are certain privileges that I enjoy because of it. But having these interactions kind of break down some of those barriers and those preconceptions that I had. And uh, I think that's how we come to a place of healing is we open up and talk about it as honestly as possible. Byron, Akil, Kelvin, y'all stories slaughtered me. But but there's a future going forward that's going to be a lot brighter. Right. Right. Amen. Adam, we've talked about, um, and again, I would say one of the strategies to uh, these conversations is rest on relationship. Yeah. If you uh, want to understand somebody in any culture, in any background, and just so you know, I, I should have said this earlier. I, I would have a unique perspective. My mom is Jamaican. I'm born in Canada. My dad is African, so from Malawi. So in terms of cultures, diversity, and whatnot, uh, I have many different experiences that we could talk about. But one of the key to overcoming uh, racism when we find it, again, like I mentioned, is having relationships that we can speak on others' behalf. Adam, you and I have talked about certain places that you've been, been around and seen certain things that uh, you've experienced in terms of uh, uh, being able to speak on my behalf because of our friendship and our friendship goes back, um, I don't even know now how many years. Um, but why don't you speak about that um, and then we'll, we can chime in uh, as we go and, and I'm trying to move the conversation along as quickly as I possibly can as well. Yeah, th- there's been there's been a few different spots um, and again, uh, relationship has been key for me to get outside of my own worldview. And um, because everyone has one, it's, it's, it's our lived experience. And um, if you're not careful, if anyone is not careful, you have the ability to assume that your lived experience is identical um, to, to, uh, to everyone else's. And that couldn't be further from the truth when it comes to 
the subject of race and racism. Um, and so I have one incredible, you know, and, and I told Calvin, like I, I cried. Um, he, I don't know if he could tell I was crying on the other end of the phone, but I was, um, one time that, uh, are you wanting the, the, the story where I should have spoke up and I didn't. And then is that, yeah. And, yeah. Go do, do the, the two stories is one that you didn't okay. speak up on the second that you did. I was, I, I was in my twenties. Um, I think early twenties, mid twenties. Uh, and I had been invited to speak at a camp. Uh, with and and I was going to be one of the one of the day speakers, and it was a real prominent evening evangelist and kind of big deal, um, you know, for a for a Canadian guy to be able to ask to go to uh, the states and uh, and and preach at a big event. Uh, America. And so, America, yeah, it was it was cool. It was I was like, this is amazing, and um, and so I was there and. Uh, we were hanging out afterwards and um, an individual um, uh, came up, fellow speaker and uh, turned to me and said, what's up my, and then dropped the end bomb um, on me. He was a Caucasian guy. And then I'm a white, you know, I'm a Caucasian guy. And I felt like all of the air had been sucked out of my chest. And then he proceeded to drop that word over and over again, not speaking about uh, African-American people, not speaking about anyone who was there who was black, but just in jest and in passing. And um, I remember, you know, even bringing it up, um, I'll try not to cry, uh, but just the sense of regret. I didn't, I, that was a moment I should have, uh, I should have stood up and I should have said something and I didn't cause number one, I was, I was shocked. Um, I had, I had never, uh, in my life now I understand everyone's experience is different, but in my life, I had never heard that word used by, a, uh, by a fellow white apostolic preacher in my life before in jest, in passing, in, in a racial remark, never, and never, I never had heard it. And, uh, I also was, I was like, if I, if I say something, oh, what, what will happen? I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I was tongue tied. I just sat in my golf cart in silence because I felt like the air had been, had been sucked into the room. And that was an incredible point of shame. And as my friendship with, uh, with, with Calvin grew and grew and grew and, um, and we've known each other our whole lives, but but working together in Ontario youth and district leadership, our, our friendship really, really grew. Um, this this would I eventually you know divulge the story to him, and it was a tremendous point of shame. And I think I've I've apologized for it so many times, and uh, and because I didn't say something, and I vowed never again to let that happen. Um, and so I was in another room. When another uh, with another group of of fellow you know kind of ministers, and uh, and the conversation flipped again to a racial jesting and joking, and it was awful. And I I remember thinking I'm never going to let this happen. Never going to let this happen again. And uh, I said, "What's wrong with you? That's racist. I'm out." Mm -hmm. I'm done with this conversation. I'll see you guys tonight at church. 
I'm going back to the hotel. Done. And got up, walked away, and closed the door. <laughs> and I want to let you know, I, I, the remaining four or five days of that event were some of the most awkward <laughs> experiences ever. But I made up my mind at that moment that I have I have a responsibility and a duty to my friends to speak for them in rooms when when there are ideas and there are thoughts and there is hatred being thrown out that they're not in that room with me. I have a duty and responsibility, even if they are in the room with me, to speak up and to condemn it for what it to condemn it for what it is. Um, and so those, those are kind of, were those the two experiences you're looking at? I, I, I had a moment, I won't tell you where these places were, uh, but I had a moment when I should have spoke. I didn't, it haunts me to this day. And I made a vow never to let that happen again. And to anyone who's listening at this point right now, who cares what relationships get burned or people that, you know, decide that they don't like you anymore um, for speaking up against against, you know, racism and speaking up against hatred. I think if we are truly apostolic, part of our duty is to speak uncomfortable truths very loudly. And if something is wicked and it's unrighteous, we got to call it out for what it is. And so it was an awkward rest of the week. Um, it was very difficult for that guy to look me in the face uh, for the rest of that week. Uh, but I decided at that moment I was it, no more, no more would I let something skate by. And because I was scared or I was nervous or I didn't know what to say or I felt outside of my comfort zone in a foreign environment that I wasn't going to step up, step to the plate. And I wasn't going to say what needed to be said um, for um, because because it was wrong and speak up for my friends that that are being ostracized or, or treated unjustly. So I hope that it was that kind of what you were looking for. Exactly. No, that's awesome. You know, I, I just want to thank everybody again for moments like this, because I believe it's spaces like this where we really will begin to dismantle racism mm -hmm. in the church. Uh, and so while it might be awkward at times uh, and uncomfortable, I appreciate both of you, specifically Ryan and Adam, your candor, uh, your empathy and your concern and your willingness to do something. Um, and so I, I just think not to oversimplify it, but I cannot uh, overvalue, overstate uh, the importance of sharing moments like this uh, or like these, having conversations, necessary conversations, difficult conversations, because only uh, necessary conversations can bring about necessary endings. Uh, yeah. and so we can enjoy the new beginnings that God wants us to experience from people either making assumptions uh, and uh, that injure uh, their brothers and sisters, they might be ignorant to that or thinking something is socially acceptable when it isn't. Uh, you know, so I think just having the conversation, standing up, even though it might be difficult, and it just points back to, I, I'm not suggesting somebody go Paul like Paul did to Peter. <laughs> Boy, Paul was just like, hey, wait a second. You know, you were just eating with the Gentiles. Now, all of a sudden, James showed up and you acting like you can't you can't sit down and eat with us. What, what, what is that? What's good? You know, because Paul was just calling it out. My, my man, Pastor Byron, he referenced, you know, he referenced it in Acts 13. But you see it there, too. I think in 11, they were like, Peter, did you go have dinner 
Did you yeah. did you go to these people's houses? What are you thinking? So Peter was probably like, hey, look. <laughs> but Paul just didn't. I'm not suggesting anybody has to go Paul. But what I am saying is we need to have a willingness to confront it in a Christ-like manner uh, in love and have these conversations. And I think that's the key, the plurality of it, conversations. Uh, and all of us feel impelled to some degree of action. And I'm just thankful for that. So, um, and we've got the good news. Um, I, I cannot tell you when I cannot tell you how many people I've heard from that are part of our movement, whether they have ministerial credentials or not, how encouraged they have been by just the conversations that have come uh, from this uh, tragedy with Ahmad Arbery. It yeah. has been so affirming and encouraging, and even to me. Uh, so I just want to commend. Uh, I know that they're not not all on this call, but Adam and Ryan and others who have reached out and we've had long, engaging conversations. It's been so fulfilling and gratifying to me to say, yes, again, I am glad to be a part of the United Pentecostal Church, this apostolic church, because I believe we have the answer and we're showing that we have the answer by having difficult conversations, uh, but necessary conversations like this. Right. Absolutely. Right. Now, I, I know we could, uh, we're getting to the 60 minute mark, and uh, maybe we have multiple conversations like this about multiple things. Uh, but uh, in closing, I want to I want to pose a question to all of us in the, the sense of um, where do we go from here? Um, what do we do about this? And um, Again, maybe we'll do, uh, there's so many different thoughts coming into my mind right now. Maybe we should bring a conversation here. Maybe we plan another conversation. Adam just sent me a message. Uh, I, I, I wanna get to that, but next time. But where do we go from here? What, what do we do? What is, how do we continue to have, I love what you said, uh, Akil, these conversations, and again, uh, let me frame it. This is not the only thing that we talk about <laughs> in terms of ministry. Most of the conversations that we've had uh, together about uh, growing people, discipling people, the church. So this is not dominating every, every part of our, our life. But in regards to this uh, topic, how? what else should we do? What's the next kind of step? What else can we do to, to overcome this? Uh, Byron, I'll, I'll have you open up on that. Sure. Uh, prayer, um, study of the word, um, is Bible study on justice and righteousness, I think would do us some good. Um, and just being a disciple, um, as brother Adam was talking, I just was, I wanted to break down crying for a moment because he referenced how he missed the moment, but then he recaptured a moment. And that is the essence of a disciple. He learned from his mistake and he grew from it. How many people don't learn from the mistake and keep making the mistake? So now that the conversation's out here, being open, transparent, growing in those ways. Ryan, what do, what do you think? Where, where do we go from here? In terms of next steps, what else can we do? Part of what I like about, um, I brought this up a 
few times lately because I've been digging a little bit extra into the epistles. But part of what I like about Paul's tone and what I like about James Stone, especially, is how direct they are. They don't mince words yeah. at all. Yeah. Not even a little. And one thing that I was talking to Abram about, the guy from my church that, that has dealt with so many of these issues. Um, I, I asked him, I said, do you, do you feel like preachers don't talk about this enough from the pulpit? And he said, here's the deal. He said, you and pastor talk about it. He said, but it's, you know, it's like most of the time, it's always like a little 60 second snippet. that's just kind of sprinkled in there. Almost like you have to, you have to say something every once in a while. And he said, I don't mean that critically. He said, but a lot of this stuff is not addressed directly. And I think what we would benefit from is some very direct in depth in your face addressing of these issues because what Adam did uh, whenever he spoke up, it might've ostracized him a little bit, but I guarantee what's happening right now, especially when you see all the outpouring that's coming in after the Amada Arbery situation is that a lot of people that want to speak up right now are silenced because they're now feeling like they're the ones that's ostracized from the conversation. And there's one guy in particular that I know messaged me. He, he messaged me some criticism. Initially, whenever I posted about it, but then a few days later, messaged me back and he said, you know what? He said, I've listened to a lot of these conversations and I've had a change of heart. He said, I'm starting to see some things. The reason he changed is because it was addressed so directly. And I think speaking directly, speaking openly and honestly, but uh, not mincing words is incredibly important. And I think that's a big part of how we're going to get past this. I, I think on on the part of. Caucasians, a part of white people, one of the things that we have that I have to do is become um, historically empathetic. This is a conversation we've had, you know, Akil and I, we've, we've chatted about this. I think it was a little while, a little while ago. Calvin, you and I have chatted about this. Um, you guys uh, recommended some books, reading it right now. Here we go. Get it right in camera by W.E.B. Dubois. Um, understanding and um, uh, black history. And the black experience um, in the United States and in, in Canada, whenever I can, um, whenever I can um, find find works on that, and understanding civil rights history, understanding the experience, um, and you know W. B. Du uh, Bois, I believe he was um, was he was he from um, was he one of the Harvard Kelvin? I forget what. Uh, yeah, he was a Harvard professor. He was a leading academic, leading thinker. Um, at, he died in the 60s. Um, but just reading his experience, the first chapter I broke down and I cried um, yeah. because he, the way he articulated the moment that he realized that he was a, uh, a young black man in a, at this particular time in America, a very, very white world and the sense of of division he had within himself both as an american and as a black man and the conflict that was created within those two identities that lived within him and how he tried to overcome it and how his friends that he grew up with tried to overcome it that there was this vast veil between that was the the thing that blew my mind because obviously the religious imagery of veil um, uh, and just reading the Bible, reading Hebrews, that there was this that was already kind of existing in my mind that there's this veil between the rest of 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 the world and him that he was shut out from. He's part of the world, but shut out from. And just that experience of him writing the awareness that he had as a child 
that that broke that broke me um i was i was heartbroken i like i cried i i've made notes i prayed about it uh and i think that there is a responsibility that if we don't understand the black experience um that we have got to become aware of that and to know history to read the thinkers that formulated the thoughts and the philosophies that became part of the civil rights movement. I think it's, especially if you are a pastor or preacher of the gospel, it's, it's so important to try to walk a mile in the, in the shoes of the people that you're trying to shepherd and disciple and lead to heaven. How can you meet people where they're at if you don't have an understanding of what brought them there? And, and I feel that's so, so, so very important. And so on top of all of the other great and amazing things that were said, I think that there is an understanding to know that we have to know history um, and to understand um, where we are now from from the perspective of history and over the you know the, over the past several hundred years but that that's just my two cents on the on the end here excellent Akil why don't you uh, uh, give your closing thoughts as well and uh... I just want to um, echo everybody's sentiments really I think we have an, a, a golden opportunity and great opportunities do come with a expiration date. And I do think we should, we have a fiduciary responsibility to leverage this opportunity as a church to become better. Uh, I love what Pastor Byron talked about, about being a disciple um, and learning and what that looks like and becoming more and more like Christ. Each day we put on Christ and we cannot change what we're unwilling to confront. Uh, and so we have to do that. And so I'm very quick. I'm in an interracial relationship, uh, have been. Matter of fact, my wife and I celebrate 20 years, uh, May 27th. Awesome. And so uh, yeah, thank you. Uh, that's why that's why I've got this. She loves this. I've never grown one of these before. And it's COVID. Don't shave it, baby. I said, OK, I'm going to leave it just for the, the anniversary. You know, so <laughs> it's going to be gone in a little bit. But, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things. I'm not out and I, I know nobody is. But I'm not out to, to vilify uh, white people. Uh, you know, at the same time, my children are black and they are white. And so I want them to value both experiences and cultures and celebrate all of those. And so we do. Yet at the same time, we have to acknowledge difficulties uh, and what they look like or challenges in systemic racism, overt racism, institutional racism. Uh, we could go down the list. And I just think, again, I don't mean to sound like a broken record, but I think it's just this having the conversation and being spirit led about it and realizing the Bible does speak to it and we should not be silent. Uh, we should speak to it. And really, I believe, I really believe the reason why this is coming to the forefront for the church is because it is positioning us for a global harvest. Praise uh, God. Where, uh, and so I think for those who are going to get out front on this and be willing to have these conversations, uh, because that's, that's been the issue for the church, has it not? Uh, the church has not along just with race, but whether it's uh, sex or sexuality, they've been, so oftentimes have been quiet or silent. But when we are willing to have these conversations and realize it can be messy, uh, but thank God for grace, <laughs> thank God for Praise mercy God. that sees us through. So nobody is, say, everybody's just saying, let's just come to the table. Let's be prayerful, like Pastor Byron mentioned. Let's be empathetic, like Pastor Adam mentioned. Let's be compassionate, like Pastor Ryan has modeled. Uh, and I think if we do those things, and let's be bold, like 
Pastor Kelvin has done by saying, let's continue the conversation. All of these things are the necessary ingredients uh, for really, uh, you know, uh, racial reconciliation and restoration and victory. It's a map forward. So I'm just excited. Uh, I respect and appreciate each of you all. And I just hope that in some way this has stretched someone and just perpetuates additional conversations. Amen. I will say a amen to all, all of those closeouts. For myself, I'll be honest with everybody. I had, if you read uh, e, uh, Du Bois' a book on the souls of black folks, he talks about this thing called that black people experience called the double consciousness, that there's this consciousness that we fight. I, because I have a perception, I know people are going to perceive me in a certain way. I, I have to act a certain way in certain environments and we flip back and forth. And to be honest, on this conversation, I had a double, some double consciousness because I was like, it's so, I'm reading so much that I no longer can sit in the background and have private conversations or just have this whelp up in myself. T to be honest, uh, all of you guys, I was uh, nervous and even asking to be a part of this conversation, even though you guys are my friends. And, and being on this platform like this, because I'm like, I don't want it to harm the church. It's not something that's, I'm even I'm, if you know me, I'm all for the church. I'm all for unity. I don't care what color of skin you are. I don't care where your background is. If, if we connect because of Jesus, we're brothers and sisters. It doesn't matter. But I was super hesitant in in kind of diving into the conversation because of what I didn't want it to be perceived as in a negative way. Until I was laying down at night and in prayer, not praying about this, it felt like I was compelled to do something about it. And my call to action to everybody is no matter what the platform is, no matter if you want to do panel discussions, have start having discussions amongst yourself, post on the internet, do videos, it doesn't matter what you do, whatever tool or medium you use, but it is time for the church to speak up and it's time to the, for the church to speak out. Brother Bernard once said, I watched a message on what he was preaching at and I love Brother Bernard, his leadership is phenomenal and he is leading this church into the greatest revival that we've ever seen it's not coming it's here can i say that jesus is coming so we got to get these things straight yeah. so that we're we're together in heaven but he said at the time of segregation and civil rights movement if we would have spoken up more martin luther king potentially could have been an apostolic preacher rolling with us how what an opportunity we missed because we decided just to shy away from these conversations shy away even though we knew what was right and wrong so I, my appeal to everybody that's going to be listening to this to watching this and maybe if we come back for a, another session uh following up on it is in any way that you can speak up speak out so that uh, we can heal by coming together and what Pastor Akil said, that the gospel can be spread to every corner of the nation, every generation, every culture and creed. So we're going to close out here. Thank you so much, guys, for coming on the call. I love each and every one of you. Um, I appreciate you giving your spending your hour and 15, 20 minutes here. 
and uh, hopefully we can do this again um, if you uh, have the time for it, which I, I think you will. So God bless you. Thank you so much. All those that are listening, appreciate your time. God bless in Jesus' name.